first chapter. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So Jesus calls them to follow, and immediately they leave their nets and they follow him. It's this total radical sudden shift in purpose. And a couple of weeks later, he's walking along the, uh, and he sees Levi, the son of Alphaeus, uh, sitting at a tax booth, and he says to him, follow me. And Levi gets up and follows him. And then for a long time, Jesus just has these five disciples, and they're going about, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and people are marveling, and they're being drawn, drawn to him and all the things that he is doing in God's name. So that one day, finally, he and the five disciples are gathered and a huge crowd is with them. And Jesus goes up on the mountain, Mark says, and calls to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And Mark says, Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, which means sent, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. And then Mark says, so he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Four are fishermen. Levi is a tax collector. The other seven, we don't know anything about, nothing. Except that they all question, they all doubt, they all misunderstand the mission. And apart from today's story, they often all follow, uh, hesitate to follow Jesus. And they even try to dissuade Jesus from going to the places he wants to, to visit. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies Jesus, and the other 10 simply run away. They're completely ordinary, imperfect people, just like us. What is absolutely remarkable, then, is that it's a testament to the power of God that this motley crew of men could eventually become effective, courageous servant leaders. But the 12 apostles are not the only ones called by Jesus to share the good news of God's kingdom or to preach or to proclaim. Lots of people get that call. More time passes and one day Jesus takes some uh, takes the disciples with him across the Sea of Galilee. He says, let's go over to the other side. And they meet a man possessed by demons and Jesus manages to cast the demons out of him and heal him so that he's no longer a raving lunatic living in a cemetery all by himself, but has rejoined his community. And when they're preparing to leave, the man who had been possessed by the demons comes to the boat that Jesus is stepping into and begs Jesus, please let me come with you and be with you. 
But Jesus refuses and says to him, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy God has shown you. Not come and follow, but go home and tell. Go home and tell. My mother told me once, long, long time ago, that um, before she married my dad, for a while she thought that she needed to become a nun to follow Jesus, which is remarkable because she was Methodist. But he convinced her that she could follow God and serve God just as well as a homemaker and a mother. And I think she absolutely did. Martin Luther used to preach often on the holy work of changing diapers, something he had a lot of experience at, even for a man of his day, because he and his wife adopted a lot of children. He also held high regard for the holy work of feeding livestock and mucking the poo out of one's barn. He says, if you want a holy discipline, if you want to get closer to God, do those things. In Mark's gospel, the good news is most often proclaimed by observed actions, not by words. The blind see, people notice. The deaf hear, people notice. The paralytic stands up, rolls up his mat, and walks, causing many to believe and to follow Jesus. Jairus's daughter is raised from Jesus, raised by Jesus from death. And what does she do? She goes back to being a 12-year-old girl which brings total joy and delight to her community. And people are amazed. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed with a fever. And Jesus heals her and she gets up and what begins to serve a meal and to provide hospitality to her guests. And that too is a calling. In fact, Jesus relies on and is supported by so many women in his ministry who give him lodging, food, financial support, they gather their neighbors and their family members. And so he has an audience for his teaching and his preaching. They're friends. They're with him at the cross when he dies. And these women are the very first ones who arrive at the tomb on Easter morning. So we know a few names, not many. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, Salome. These used to follow him, we're told, and provided for him when he was in Galilee. And there were, Mark says, many other women who had come up with Jesus to Jerusalem. So pastors are often asked to tell our call stories. In fact, we get to practice that a lot in seminary. And um, I have to say, I've always really loved hearing them. It's fascinating to hear how people wind up somehow in this profession we call ministry. And um, I've told mine before at length, but I won't ever forget the day that I was sitting in my office. I was an insurance agent for 13 years. I was sitting at my desk in, the, in my uh, office there in our little agency, and I was contemplating what more I was supposed to do with my life. It, it, was, it was good at insurance, and I, I liked it well enough, and I really enjoyed my clients, but I had this sense that I wasn't on my ultimate path, that I that there was something else. And I was mulling that over. And honest to God, um, suddenly this thought crystallized in my head that, that ministry, that I was supposed to become a pastor. 
And that was so outside the concept of anything I'd ever thought of before. It was just, it just seemed insane and um, and unlikely. I mean, I wasn't a holy roller. I was in church. I mean, we, we were active in our church, but I wasn't an especially uh, religious person. I spent a lot of time arguing with the church and arguing with God. And, but suddenly it just made perfect sense to me. And the other thing that happened was that in that moment that I went from being directionless to having this absolutely crystal clear vision of what I was going to do next. And I felt propelled, compelled, compelled. Um, and I was filled with joy and energy and excitement and ready to take that next step. The trouble with the church, I think, is that we have focused way too much on the calls of people like Eli or the apostles or pastors. And the fact is, God has called you too. That you also have a call story, whether you realize it or not. That you've been called to follow Jesus and to proclaim the good news in your life in lots of different ways. Uh, we don't have a church because there were 12 apostles. We have a church because of all those crowds of people who encountered Jesus and were compelled by him and by his message to follow him each in their own way. The contractor who updated our church bathrooms this past year, I got to talk to him a little bit and uh, while he was on the property and uh, he kind of has an interesting story. I mean, he's um, he's uh, trying to do a mission start church ministry and um, he's doing these contractor jobs to make ends meet and building up a business that he's handing on to his son. But what was most remarkable is he said that he and his wife felt basically called to be parents. And so they had adopted more than a dozen children of different ages and were doing, it seemed to me, a really marvelous job of raising them and being there for them and equipping them and teaching them skills and things that they would use for the rest of their lives. And it looked like a really joyful and happy family. That would not be my calling. Um, I'm still, you know, wondering if I was a good parent for one. And I can't imagine me as a parent of more than a dozen. Um, but he and his wife were called to that. And they had the gifts and God had empowered them for it. And they were shaping those lives. And it was a wonderful and beautiful testament to the glory of God. We have a word for that. And it's called vocation which is a Latin word that means call, calling, the calling. I thought yesterday as I was preparing this about someone in our church who to me was a really obvious example of someone whose work was done as a calling. And that was Rick Royer. And uh, I, Rick died a number of years ago. And, um, but as I was preparing his, his funeral, I learned a lot about him that I hadn't known. And uh, he was just a really delightful guy. And those of you who remember him will know well what a warm person he was. It turns out when he was in college, he was studying to be an electrical engineer. And then before he finished college, he uh, found out he had a gift for teaching. 
and that he rather enjoyed it, which led him to change his major and all and become uh, a teacher. And he had a career as a high school math teacher and basketball coach. And it was his passion and it gave him joy. And through his work, God used him um, to shape a generation or part of a generation. And when he died, there was this amazing outpouring of appreciation from literally hundreds of former students. And Rick had been retired for a little while um, all over Facebook, you know, and just uh, email and every other way. They were um, telling stories about uh, how he had touched them over the years and shaped their lives. Lots of them had gone on to become teachers because they were inspired by the way Rick taught and the way he touched them. And others were doctors and nurses and entrepreneurs and parents and everything else that you can be in life. But the way they did their work and the relationships they had with other people were deeply informed by their experience with Coach Royer, who offered them a taste of the kingdom of God. He made math fun, heard a lot about that. But more importantly, they remembered the lessons they had learned about life and about character and kindness and humility and grace and purpose and passion and service and love and friendship and responsibility just by watching him and the way he interacted with others. He openly talked about his love for his wife, Stephanie, and they had been sweethearts since uh, middle school. And when he told the stories uh, about their life together and when he talked about how much he loved her, the girls in his classes uh, learned that they also de deserve to be loved selflessly and that they should expect to be cherished and respected. Those are amazing lessons, part of his vocation. He's remembered as a coach who was composed always, no matter how he did the games, Scott, and who had, uh, who was a good sport and who brought joy to the games that he played and, and his honesty and his discipline. And you know, that's the power of vocation. That's the power of your call to give us a taste of the kingdom of God. The way you relate to people in your work and the values you demonstrate and the good you do can be more effective at proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and of hope than any words I could preach, truly. We are each and every one of us called, every one of us. And we can be called in a lot of ways. God gives us opportunities to use all of our gifts and abilities in following Jesus, whether that's in the church or in our homes or in our world and our workplaces. And you may have been following Jesus for a long time. And maybe you're just beginning to perceive your calling or a shift in your calling. But you also have a story. You do. And I'll bet at some point you were captivated and compelled onto a path that has taken you places that you would never have imagined. And chances are it's the way of Jesus and it is strewn with miracles and grace. So think about that today. How did you get where you are? And what has Jesus called 
you to, and most importantly, who can you tell? Share that story with somebody this week. Um, it'll be a blessing for them and also for you. Amen.